The limited partner shares in the potential outsized returns of a well-planned and executed investment, but as a passive investor with no day-to-day operating requirements, whose liability is limited to the extent of their share of ownership. The limited partner has the maximum leverage on their most precious asset, their time. Now they say you're the average of the people you surround yourself with. Are you looking to elevate your network, connect with individuals that bring your average up? The limited partner is more than just a podcast. It's a community to learn, to participate, to connect. There's no other community out there like this for limited partners. So subscribe to the podcast, but most importantly, join the community at thelimitedpartner.com. Welcome to the podcast with your host, Jake Wiley. Welcome partners. This is your host, Jake Wiley. This week, I'm joined by Sarah May. So she's the managing partner at Regency Investment Group. Sarah, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me, Jake. Excited to be here. Yeah, I think this will this will be a great show. You and I both attended the best ever conference last week. So I think we've got our heads full of what's going on in the market, the optimism, the pessimism. But uh, we'll probably dig into that a little bit later in the show. But if you wouldn't mind, start for our audience out there. Tell us a little bit about you and how you got to Regency. Yeah, thanks. So like I said, managing partner, um, co-founder of Regency Investment Group currently. Um, we focus on bringing passive investment opportunities to investors. We focus on multifamily assets assets in our home market of Colorado, uh, Denver, Colorado Springs, and along the Front Range. Um, but before we got there, I started, you know, I usually say my journey started in college when I went to a Rich Dad Poor Dad seminar and heard about the concept of passive income. In college, I already was thinking, you know, what do I want to do after my career? So I jumped the gun a little bit, but, um, you know, heard about this idea of passive income and being able to buy real estate and have it, you know, my income be more than my expenses each month. And really was intrigued. So I remember lots of late nights in my dorm room reading real estate books for fun. Um, But that transitioned um, over the next few years once I was working as an aerospace engineer um, that I was buying rental properties. And the first deal I did, you know, HGTV was popular back then and still is. So did a fix and flip, bought a nice five bed, three bath ranch house, um, one of the suburbs around Denver, hired a contractor to fix it up. And Really loved the process, but didn't love the financial returns at the end of it so much. You know, we made it beautiful. You know, someone got a really good deal on a on a house. This was back in 2010, so prices were a lot cheaper back then. But at the end of the day, I think I made like eight thousand dollars for six months of work. Like, not not that impressive. But I followed that house. If I had held it as a long term rental, that house appreciated close to fifty thousand dollars in one year. And I realized I wanted to be in the long term rental business. And so while, you know, while I was working my engineering career, um, just started saving money along with my husband or business partners and would save money and buy a duplex and then save some more money and buy a triplex. And so built a portfolio of properties doing that. And then about 2016, decided I want to, I wanted to change careers and go into real estate. I wanted to learn how to make it into a business and learn about syndication. So started along that route. Out, joined an investment club, got a coach to teach us the business, and started um, Regency Investment Group back in 2016. And um, since then, I've uh, just been doing primarily been the lead sponsors. So we do all of our own asset management and renovation management, business plan structuring, things like that. And we've done five projects or so, and lots of heavy rehab projects. 
And we can talk more about how we how we structure that. But that was essentially how I got started in the business. That's a, that's a great story. And you saw me smile when you mentioned the, the rich dad, poor dad. Two reasons. One is that that is the resounding start for so many people that I've interviewed. I think that's fascinating. It was for me too, right? So I always mm-hmm. came on that. The other thing is that I'm really jealous that you got to it in college. Right, like that. That that was just such a great jump start. I actually, as an aside, and our listeners may have heard this before, but I've I've actually sat my kids down and we played cash flow the board game so that they can see kind of what we're doing. And you know, because we're we're, we have rental properties and we're we're selling some and we're looking for new ones. We're trying to make it real and tangible. So when we drag them out to these properties and show them what we're doing, we're like, remember in the game and it wasn't a doodad. We bought this and this is why we're improving it. This is why we're selling it. That's been really great for me. And I thought that was a great story, but you got into flips first, not the rentals. Yeah, just did one. It was a great process seeing like the before and after story, but the financial returns were more along the lines of a job than an investment. But got, you know, got my feet wet with the renovations and construction management. And that definitely helped launch into the apartment syndications and a lot of these bigger renovation projects we've done. Yeah, I, th- I mean, um, I think the, the experience, experience. With one, just getting in there and doing it is so valuable, right? Even if it's not a great like monetary, once you've done something, you realize you can actually do this. Right. And then mm-hmm. I think it's turned into a full-time career for you, but let's, let's flip the script. Let's talk a little bit about the syndication. So you've done five projects. What are some of the best things that have come of those projects and then flip the script and go to some of the, the worst? <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, they've all been doing really well financially. I mean, here in Colorado, the market's really strong. Most of our properties are around Denver and rent growth has been high. Occupancy has been high. You know, it's been kind of a great time to be involved in the business, both as a, you know, active syndicate and our passive investors have done really well as well. But yeah, some of our some of our projects, you know, I think the second project we did, um, it was a heavy renovation project. Um, it actually was an old hotel at one point. It had been converted to apartments maybe 15 years before we bought it. But, you know, kind of a unique property. We were able to get it for a great price, uh, but it needed a lot of work, needed full exterior renovations, interior, you know, had had room for a clubhouse and a fitness center. We basically gutted the whole thing and, um, you know, updated all the common areas and made it look like a really cool, trendy building. And, you know, I think that's one of the things I love about the business is you, you know, take the worst property on the block and then make it the, the place everyone wants to live. And the tenants are proud to live there now, excited to bring their friends over. You know, the community improves because now instead of this eyesore property, now you have something that's appealing and a nice home for people to live. So that, you know, that's one of the things I love about the business is just being able to transform properties and then help everybody who's involved, like not just the people who live there, but community, the investors. I and mean, then, you know, we're able to make a profit and keep doing what we're doing too. That's a really unique story too, in that most syndicator start with something that I would consider more stabilized. And it sounded like you got into one that needed a ton of work, a lot of value add. I guess what, what's the story behind that? And like, how did, how did you how did you choose that? Well, you may not know this about engineers, but we tend to overanalyze things. I think that was our second property, but had been looking really hard to find, you know, the perfect deal and kind of had very high standards of what we wanted the financial returns to be for our investors. And just kept missing out on deals. Um, you know, we were putting a lot of offers in, but we're just a little too conservative. And this was a unique opportunity that came up where it wasn't fully marketed. Um, it had been 
under contract before and fell out of contract. The brokers never bothered to relist it and just reached out to us because we were looking for value add multifamily deals. I was able to make an offer with no other competing offers. Um, you know, it'd been on the market for a while and it was just in such, you know, visually decrepit state that I think other people were scared away from it. But with my past experience doing other smaller renovations, I was like, oh, all it needs is a coat of paint and a new parking lot. This thing's really great. So anyway, I just kind of saw the diamond in the rough and was able to, you know, get a good price. And kind of, I really liked that the property had all this common amenity space that we'd be able to you know, bring in an interior design company and make it a usable, beautiful space for the residents. And things like that also attract new tenants because they like things that are new and shiny as well. So that was really how we got into it. And it's worked out well. Really, uh, there's a hidden interesting point in there that I want to I want to highlight is that you were really active in the market and letting people know what you're looking for. And as a result, you know, this unique opportunity found its way to you. When I talk to a lot of folks that are out there, they're trying to get started. I'm like, just get out and get active, right? Get your name in the marketplace. And you never know when things will find their yeah. way to you. And you're, you're in a hot market and then you were in a no competition offer situation right. with this property because somebody knew that you were looking for it. They brought it to you. And I think that that's to your point is like, sometimes you get in there and you overanalyze these things. And what you were doing though, is at least you were making offers, right? And you were being really active and people were taking you serious. And some people were like, ah, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. I'm not going to make an offer. We're never going to win that one. And I would always counsel against that. I would say, get out there, be active, let people know you're, you're interested and things will come your way. So I thought that was really an interesting point. Yeah. Whenever there's an opportunity to look at properties off market or lightly marketed, those are always the ones we, our company sinks our teeth into because there's a higher probability of it, of it working out and being a little bit better deal than we can find on the market. Yeah. I've, I've told, I don't know how many agents we've worked with over the years. I want you to send me the properties that scare you and other people. Like you walk in and you're like, Whoa, yeah. right? Like, I don't, I don't like this. Like you get a weird feeling from it. Like I want to look at that one because most people don't, right? There's like, I don't, I don't feel good about this. The foundation, it smells funny. There's something going on here. There's a lot of diamonds in the rough. You know, yes, I don't buy mm-hmm. them all. Sometimes these issues with these properties are really surface or they're not as big a deal as you would think they are. So just get out there and, and get a look at it. And that's how we found most of our great deals. People call us and they're like, yeah, I got a good one for you. He's <laughs> been living in there without electricity for the past two years. You're like, okay. Oh my goodness. Those are, those are some heavy projects, but they are. Like, yeah, they're, they're great returns, especially if they're in a great neighborhood. Sometimes it's amazing where they are and where you'll find these things. I guess the other question I want to ask you about that is, you know, since we're, we're limited partners here and we're looking at deals and let's just say we're coming to invest in that, I, I think it would be slightly atypical for such a heavy lift and, you know, your projections and how you're going to turn this thing around. So let's talk a little bit about how you communicated that and got everybody comfortable that this was a great opportunity for them to invest as limited partners. Um, yeah. So one of the things we like to do when we have a new property is send out an email to all of our potential investors, laying out the whole business plan and why we're doing what we're doing and the financial projected returns for them if they choose to invest with us. And so it really was just a matter of being very clear on our communications and also setting the vision for the property. Because sometimes if you just see, you know, the before pictures on these big rehab projects, people are like, oh, that doesn't look very nice. I don't know if I want to, you know, invest in that. But kind of setting that vision of what it can be and, you know, having inspiration photos 
logos in the marketing package, things like that. That was important. Uh, I think just also, again, I'm an engineer, so I'm very analytical. So I like sharing all the numbers, sharing like how much below the market um, per unit cost we're getting it and what, you know, how much above the market cap rate we're getting it. Then showing the financial projections and, you know, the deal was worked out really well on paper. So investors were going to, I think we were projecting like 120% return over five years, so 2.2 equity multiple. The deal kind of sold itself once you dug into it. But yeah, the communication, I think, is key and just making sure you set expectations and everybody knows what what the plan is for the property. Yeah, I mean, I think with a 2.2 multiple on equity, you've got a lot of room to be wrong. And still for that to work out, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. So I think that even if somebody looked at it and said, well, that's a little, that's a little bit of a rosy picture. you am like, well, is it a hundred percent over rosy? You know, like, <laughs> I think we're going to be fine. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And I mean, just on any, on any deal too, I think getting investors understanding the communication process, like throughout the deal. Um, I know we just talked about like when you're marketing the deal, but another thing is I think telling investors what to expect after you close the deal. Um, I'm a passive investor in a lot of deals too, and very few sponsors do this. Most of them are still great sponsors, but um, it's really nice when they say, all right, well, after we close the deal, you know, send you an email letting you know we close. And then every month you can expect um, you know, an email with a summary of our project, how the property is doing, and all the financial records from the property management company. For instance, I mean, people can, can do it differently. And then at the beginning of the year, we get your K-1 tax statements by the middle of March. Just setting expectations and communicating clearly. I think that's another thing that good sponsors will do. And so, you know, as passive investors, asking sponsors what their communications plan is can be a good question to throw in there. I think that's a great point. I, I hear more times than not that the communication with investors was the biggest undervalued aspect of the business, right? You've got sponsors that are great at real estate. They can go find the deals. They can put them together. But the communication piece is they just didn't put enough thought or time into it in the beginning. And, and that was that was a learning curve. And I think your point is valid is that you'll probably find some sponsors that are good that just don't communicate as well. But it's in a time where you're in the market and you're looking where to put your money. Communication really is key. And if you can have somebody that communicates well and one that doesn't, like obviously you should go with one that, that communicates well. And, and that's something I do think you should dig in on. And, and I guess if you were a, as an LP, but you know somebody that's also sits on the other side of the Table, what would you advise you know, a new limited partner? How would you ask, I guess, ascertain the best way to figure out if you're going to get good communications from your sponsor? Yeah, I mean, I'll just ask the sponsor first what their plan is. And just by your question, you're probably going to make them realize they need to take it a little bit more seriously on their end as well. But asking the question, uh, I think if you can get referrals from past investors, just you know, ask for someone who's had a good experience and if you could talk with them a little bit. Ask the sponsors to see past communication. That's another a really easy way to get a very detailed idea on how um, you know how they're communicating with their investors on their past deals. So I don't think it's hard to get the information, but just asking the question is is a good idea. Yeah, I think that's a that's a great point. And you can ask the question. Of course, they're going to tell you they're going to do a great job of communicating. With you. But the past communications will show what those communications actually look like. And you know, especially maybe even asking, uh, I'd be interested in your thoughts because the market's been so rosy. You know, are there communications where things went or not to spec where you had to communicate something? something that was less than ideal or, or kind of outside the realm of, of um, what you projected. Yeah. So when COVID hit in 2020, I mean, our the, the 
investment group I'm part of and our investment coach, like we got on calls every single week to kind of talk through what was going on in the market, what we were seeing in our individual markets, and also like best practices for making it through all the uncertainty. So some things that that I implemented with our deals was instead of a monthly communications, we did every other week, we would communicate and we'd add additional information to our investor reports um, where we actually were tracking delinquency. Like week over week, you know, how many people have paid rent? How many people haven't paid rent? You know, how many people have applied for government assistance? um, Because those programs were starting to be rolled out and just being really open with the investors that we were tracking all of this, working with our property management companies uh, to help the residents apply for rent if they they needed it. And also like property managers had to pivot big time too, because now not only could they not show units in person, but they had to keep the residents happy without actually meeting face-to-face and work out payment plans. Like before COVID, I don't know if everybody remembers, but payment plans were not something that most property owners offered to residents. It was, you know, if you can't pay, you got to leave. And COVID came around and, you know, property owners, I think, did a good job, you know, trying to work with people and, you know, get them assistance or at least work out a payment program to pay rent over the next three months and things like that. So there was a lot of pivoting during COVID. And we just tried to tell all of our investors exactly what was going on, what we were tracking, things like that. That's a great example. And it's somewhat hard to remember now that everything seems like, you know, the world is just going so great, you know, minus the war and between Russia and Ukraine. But there was a time early, especially in COVID, where it's like, we don't know what's going to happen. Everybody's locked down people living in apartments were on moratoriums, like this could be, you know, the end of multifamily. But uh, I mean, it turned around quickly, but there was a period in time where it was pretty scary. Yeah, for sure. And I have, I've talked to another gentleman that's got properties. And one of the things he's, he does, he actually has the property manager do a little video every month and just say, hey, this is where we're at. This is what we're doing. So it's kind of coming directly from the third party as well. And he said that's gone over really well with the investors just to be like, okay, well, this is at the property. This is what you're hearing. So I just passing that on is something I thought was pretty interesting. Yeah, I think videos where everything's going to go over the next few years. I haven't adopted it too much, but have plans <laughs> to in the future. <laughs> well, I guess kind of wrapping this up in terms of biggest mistakes or things to avoid, I guess, what would be your advice? to budding limited partners as, as they start exploring this? What are some mistakes you've seen and, and what should we be avoiding? One thing that applies universally to all deals is the future bump in property taxes. And as a limited partner, that's something you necessarily, that comes to mind is the first thing you should check out about a property. But it's one of the things that you can check out, which is which is nice. And you can figure out what the the taxes are in that county and calculate it yourself, or just make sure that the sponsor talks about it and shows it appropriately in their underwriting. Um, Because property taxes can derail even the best looking deal um, if they aren't accounted for in the underwriting. So like there was a deal I was just looking at like last month and it was in a new market in a a different state. And compared to my home market, Colorado, like the pricing was amazing. It was like 80,000 a unit here in Colorado at 250 a unit for similar properties. I was like, Hey, this looks really good. And dug into the underwriting you know, at first pass, it looked pretty good. You know, rents are a lot lower too, obviously, but going down the road of pursuing this property. And we were using Colorado tax rates. Like, okay, well, we actually need to go look at, you know, this was in the Midwest, look at Iowa tax rates and figure out what the tax bump's going to be. And after doing that, we realized property taxes are going to go up 170000 per year more than we were anticipating. Wow. And that completely, you know, derailed the deal. We, weren't, we didn't spend any more time on it. But as a limited partner, just make sure 
that that property tax bump at the new purchase price is underwritten. You know, I think another thing is look at that exit cap rate or reversion cap rate. You know, sponsors will call it different things, but, you know, cap rates are at historic all-time lows right now, which means prices are at all-time highs. So, you know, just make sure that it's a realistic number, ideally above the cap rate that the sponsor's buying the deal at to give a little bit of a buffer. Interest rates are starting to go up in the market. Cap rates oftentimes are correlated to interest rate. Um, we'll see if this time is different, but, you know, look at what that exit cap rate is. I like the oftentimes, like this market at times doesn't seem like it makes any yeah. sense. You know, it's like market interest rates go up, prices go up, right? It's like, okay, fine. Uh, just yeah, can't, I know. can't even guess anymore. But I think your points are great. When you look at assumptions in the deal, there's a lot of assumptions on cost, labor cost, property taxes, insurance. There's, there's a lot of things that you can just kind of overlook in the assumptions. And to your mm-hmm. point, which I think is amazing, is that little changes in the assumptions, which are a lot of lines that are just kind of stagnant or fixed, or maybe have like a 3% annual increase, right. can make a significant impact on the viability of the property. And like the one you saw, like just didn't even work when you factored in like what the tax rates were going to be. And I think that that's key, right? So as you're dealing with I guess, operators and sponsors, you, you got to kind of just look at their assumptions and, and look at the ones that are kind of just stuck down at the bottom that look very flat or have like a standard adjustment to them and know that, you know, there might be some things that change dramatically like labor prices, property taxes. And if you live in a coastal area that's had some issues or, you know, hurricanes or quakes or wherever, insurance, like those things can change dramatically and make a big difference. So if you look at it and it's all everything across the boards, a 3% increase or, or some number, I would ask questions. Like, what are your thoughts on that? No, obviously, I you know I love the numbers. I'm an engineer, so I look I look at all that. But I don't think you know people have to necessarily look at every line item. Like, as a limited partner, you do have somewhat limited information. So you know, going with referrals, um, talking with the sponsors, and if they have a good track record, I mean, that goes a long way. Like, if hit it out of the park on all their previous deals, they probably know know what they're doing and have done a good job with their due diligence and their underwriting. Um, so yeah, you know, going with People that have a good track record also is a way to shorten timelines a little bit. But yeah, understand the numbers too. I think it's important to you know know what you're investing in, and it's always nice to be able to understand some of the fundamentals of these big bigger real estate deals too. Short answer is it's okay to ask questions, right? If you look at something, you're like, oh, I just don't really understand that. Ask the question. You don't have to make the assumption that it's fine. And every once in a while, you might find something that's really interesting. As we come to time here, I always like to end the show with a little bit of gratitude. None of us got to where we are without somebody kind of giving us a leg up or helping us probably more than they should have along the way. Is there anybody that you'd like to give a shout out to and a little bit of gratitude? Yeah. I mean, our coach and mentor, Brad Sumrock, he's been pretty much the entire reason that I'm in this business, that we have a company that our investors are making, you know, good returns. I mean, when you're in syndication, there's a lot of responsibility and we didn't want to take any chances of, you know, missing anything along the way. And Brad's just been a huge benefit. Like he was an engineer before he got into multifamily. We think the same way, Um, very detail oriented, pays attention to the economics and market fundamentals. Um, so Brad's just been great. He makes real estate a ton of fun, gives us all the information we need, but also makes it understandable and relatable. So yeah, big, big shout out to Brad Sumrock and his whole organization and team of coaches and other investors. It's been a great, great group to be a part of. That's awesome. Brad, I hope you're listening. You obviously deserve some, some kudos there. Sarah, thank you so much for your time. This has been a great conversation. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Jake. Appreciate it. 
I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the Limited Partner Podcast. Please subscribe and leave a review. If there's any reason you wouldn't leave us a five-star review, please email me directly at jw at jakewiley.com. Your feedback is always appreciated. Now, the show is just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the limited partner community. It's a community where limited partners can come together, learn about what best-in-class looks like, opportunities, and most importantly, a place to connect. There is nothing out there like this. So head over to thelimitedpartner.com and sign up. We'll see you next time.